All right. Good morning. I'm feeling really fresh this morning. <laughs> so you're going to get a little extra energy today, and I hope you're cool with that. Um, several weeks ago, Pastor Rob hits me up, and he's like, Yo, M, can you please come speak at Lightshine again? And the first thought that went through my mind, or maybe the question I asked you is like, Hey, what do you want me to preach on? Like, what do you guys need to hear about? And he's like, well, you know, we're following this flow, and um, I'll, I'll just send you, like, where you would be at in the flow, and take a look at it, and let me know what you think. And honestly, the first time I read the passage, I was like, come on, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> did, you, did you choose this week to put me up? Because, like, I don't know if I really am feeling stoked about the word, and um, for that reason, I decided to do it, because sometimes... Sometimes when you look at a scripture and you read it and you're like, man, I don't know if this is registering with me. I don't know how passionate I'm about it. That's the exact reason why you got to dive in and dig a little harder and confront yourself. And I feel like the real reasons why I wasn't happy about it was because something inside of me was not right. I needed an alignment check from God and I needed to lay on the chiropractic bench and he needed to be like, you know, like, let me do an adjustment on you. So this morning's message is called the insanely radical cost of following Jesus, and it really is an insanely radical cost because this is the alignment check that needed to happen in me in Luke chapter 9. I was reading that passage and thinking about how I follow Jesus way too lightly, and there's way, way, way more to it than that. Um, So what I decided to do was take an inductive approach to studying the scripture. And the way that I did that was I read the passage and I thought about it. And then I reread it and I wrote down questions and thoughts and ideas and concerns. And then I prayed about it and then I read chapter 9 in the entirety. And and I wrote down questions and thoughts and and concerns again. And then I decided I'll reread the passage and how's my my thinking and and my understanding changed. And I thought I'll read the whole book of Luke. (laughs) And I'll look at the whole spectrum of it. And so today, you're going to get what I call a Frankenstein. And a Frankenstein is literally, I am going to look at this passage in light of the whole book of Luke. And I'm going to piece together different parts of Luke to try and broaden our understanding of what discipleship is, what it costs, what it means, what Jesus actually intends for us to understand when he says, Follow me. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to do the Frankenstein approach, is what I call it. And we're going to be looking at it um, in Luke 9. But before we go to the scripture this morning, here is where I got the gut punch. Um, last week it happened to me. Literally, it felt like this. Like it was like going deeper into my gut. And one night I was with my son, we were laying in his bed. And sometimes we like to watch YouTube videos as we're kind of winding down. And that night, um, recently, we've been watching like epic fails, like a compilation reel, or like really inspiring cool stuff, like people doing parkour and backflips and jumps off, like really cool guy stuff. My son's really into that. Uh, He's almost five years old. And we came across a video of a skateboarder bombing a mountain. And I'm not even kidding. It's in the Swiss Alps. He is going down a mountain pass, narrow roads, windy, dangerous curves with nothing more than a skateboard and a helmet and a pair of gloves. And as I watched that, 
I really started to realize, man, the quality of this video is really good. Somebody is following close behind him. It's like there is a person behind capturing this footage of this guy going down the hill, and it's a mountain. And I'm like, this guy following him is just as crazy as the guy who's going down the hill. And I feel like that is exactly what Jesus intends from us and requires of us when we follow him. He wants us to be just as insane and crazy as him. In fact, the journey down the mountain is so dangerous, and I'll show you the video in a second. I almost believe that this video is the perfect metaphor of how Jesus wants us to follow him. So Dustin, hook us up with this uh, next slide here, and let's watch this uh, video that I embedded in here. It is absolutely ridiculous. I don't even know why he takes a running start to begin with, but you'll see what I'm talking about here. This is a nice, easy start. This is how I actually think as you're watching the video here. Jesus wants us to follow him. I mean, he's bombing this mountain in the Swiss Alps. He's actually reaching speeds of up to 70 miles an hour. Um, I think this guy's crazy, literally. But the guy following him, I don't even know like, how crazy this guy is. But this is ridiculous. This is a whole other level of expertise, isn't it? I just see that curve down below, and I, and I start getting concerned for this guy because I'm like, man, that's a, that's a really bad curve you're about to hit there. Yeah, look at this one. All right, here he is. And he's going to pull off to the side. Um, you can stop it there, Dustin. Yeah. Uh, Everyone stops for a bus, let me tell you. you know? <laughs> um, but I am honestly crazy enough to believe that this is how Jesus wants us to follow him. It is full commitment, 120% all in, unconcerned with the dangers, cars backing up, cyclists, buses, crazy curves going 70 miles an hour and you literally all you have is a helmet and a skateboard and a pair of gloves uh, cliff faces let's just talk about the cliff faces that guy goes off the side he's done um, and yet he's all in he's 100 percent and he's focused on the journey and the destination and I want you to think and ask yourself could you imagine literally following Jesus like this Could you feel that kind of intensity? Could you relate to that level of commitment? And could you sense the need for just ultimate focus as you're going? As I was watching with my son, though, um, as you know in YouTube, all kinds of videos pop up. We found almost the exact opposite video. <laughs> 
And the gut punch to me was Jesus was telling me this week, he's like, yo, you're the guy in the second video. You got to step it up. Um, it's also a skateboarder. And it is completely a different kind of following happening in this video. Let's roll this one, Dustin. We're not going to play the whole video, but I think you're going to get, get the drift here real quick. Yeah. It's my kind of skateboarding, you know? I heard somebody say, I don't even, can't even stand. Well, you can stand on this kind of skateboard. You're just cruising the boardwalk, crushing it at five miles an hour, maybe. I mean, you are, there's all kinds of perils and dangers on this boardwalk. Oh, he nearly slipped there. You know what? This is a feel-good kind of experience here. I mean, the following, the guy following behind, I mean, he is... He's putting his back into it. Look at that. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Feels good. It's relaxing. My kind of following, you know? Let's hit the pause right there. Do you guys see what I'm talking about? There's absolutely no dangers, no concerns, there's absolutely no intensity. He's barely probably even breaking a sweat. Um, and it's just chill. You're just kind of following the boardwalk. It's open-ended. It's relaxing. You know, the destination is I'll stop when I feel like it. You know, like it's that kind of following and skateboarding. And ask yourself this question. Could you imagine following yourself or following Jesus like that? Or maybe perhaps... You weigh yourself and you ask yourself today, how am I following? Is it bombing a mountain or is it cruising a boardwalk? Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Um, and as I looked at Luke 9 this week and as I was just living in the passage, studying it, restudying it, thinking about it, praying about it, it was like that gut punch, punch and reality check just got harder and harder for me. And so I would like to take a look at the passage of Scripture this morning um, that we're going to be studying and living in for just a few minutes this morning. And so turn with me to Luke 9. I got it up on the screen for you. I'm going to read it out of this Bible that my mom gave me in Bible college, which I just rediscovered um, yesterday. I was like, where's that Bible mom gave me? And I'm going to use it here today. So let me read this. As the time drew near when Jesus would be taken up to heaven, he made up his mind and set, up, set out on his way to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him who went into a village in Samaria to get everything ready for him. But the people there would not receive him because it was clear that he was on his way to Jerusalem. So they get rejected. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? A little brutal. Uh, a little hot-headed here. Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then Jesus and his disciples went on to another village. And this is the part that I was living in. This is where the whole idea of the skateboarding and following Jesus came in. Reading at verse 57. And as they went up on their way, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs> I 
I don't think this guy has a clue. Um, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lie down and rest. And he said to another man, Follow me. But that man said, Sir, first let me go back and bury my father. Jesus answered, Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then somebody else said, I will follow you, sir, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said to him, anyone who starts to plow and then keeps looking back is of no use to the kingdom of God. When I read this scripture, the first thing that actually stood out to me is the word follow. Um, There's actually two phrases that just pop up in the second, the latter part of the text, and it's repetitious, follow, 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 or I will follow you wherever you want to go, or I will follow you, or follow me. Um, On two of the occasions, Jesus is receiving um, people coming to him saying, I'll follow you, and on one of the three occasions, Jesus asked somebody to follow him, and it really just stuck out to me. I'm like, why is there these three people, as Jesus is traveling along, what is going on here? What is really happening here with this following? And as I was reading this and living in the whole book of Luke, several questions came to my mind, and I put them on the screen here, and I'm going to answer them this morning. The first one is, well, if I was going to choose to follow Jesus, the first thing I would want to know is like, hey, dude, where are you going? Like, you know, like, I don't know if they know where he's going. Is it like he's just wandering around like a nomad in the desert for 40 years? Or is it like, hey, I have a very, like, focused mission that's very clear to everyone, that everyone stands, and we all know where we're going. So first thing I want to know is like, hey, where's Jesus going? The second question is like, hey, who else is joining us for this trip? Is it just me? Is it just a couple of us? Is it a larger group of people? Like, who else is going to be joining us along the way? The third question is, well, why in the first place are we going there? You know, like, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, like, where are we going and why are we going there? Those should be the questions that you really clearly understand, right? So if somebody invites me to go and do something, uh, I'm going to be like, yeah, but like, what's the point? Um, We're going to answer that question this morning. And then the final question, which is really where I was spending a lot of my week and the last two weeks really understanding is, what exactly is the journey going to look like? Is it going to be an easy boardwalk type journey? Or is it going to be bombing a mountain type of journey? Like, I want to know that and I want to uncover that. And I want to understand that and I want to wrap my mind around it. Because when it comes to following Jesus... I think we need to be able to answer these questions. Where does Jesus want us to go? Where is he going? Who else is coming along? Why do we need to go there? Right? And then, what's it going to be like along the way? Like, those are pretty, pretty important and foundational questions. Um, and we're going to answer those. Actually, the text does a very, very good job of making it easy for us to answer the first two questions. Um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but the first thing is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Actually, we read in the verses, in verse 51, it was the first verse that we read in the text, you know, as the time drew near, and Jesus became fully aware that it was getting closer for him um, to execute the mission that God had sent him on and to go and be back in heaven. He was very aware of that, and he decided, you know what, it's time to shift the focus, and I'm going to put my full attention, my full gaze, my full focus on getting to Jerusalem 
um, where the story is going to unplay, uh, unfold. And so he suddenly actually, in the text we read, he sends a few messengers ahead. Um, the reason that he sends them ahead, it's very common in the book of Luke. You just read about multiple times when Jesus is sending people out. They go to the villages ahead of them to prepare the way. It'd be like Billy Graham um, on his way to do a tour, and he's like sending people into the different places that he's going to be going to ahead of time to get all the affairs in order to get the preparations, accommodations, all the logistics taken care of. And he sends out people ahead to Samaria where they end up getting rejected. They're like, hey, you cannot stay here. We're not going to have you. And Jesus and his followers literally have no place to then stay. So the first answer is he's on his way to Jerusalem. Let's check that box. Who's following him? A little more tricky to answer because we have to dig into the text and look at some of the parallel passages. But right out the gate, when we just look at the passage we read in the scripture, it's very clear that it's not just the disciples who are following him. In fact, there's some other people there. There's evidence in the passages there's another man or somebody else or a man. It's not just the disciples. And when we actually go to the parallel passage in Matthew 8, what we see is that the passage takes place when there's these crowds pressing into Jesus. He's just done a multitude of healings and the crowds are just starting to mob him and, and press in on him. And so he tells his disciples to go across the lake and he retreats back. And a person that we see in the parallel passage that comes to him is the teacher, a teacher of the law. Somebody probably a pastor, a PhD professor at a Bible college, or somebody a scribe who would rewrite manuscripts and study them deeply. Um, it's very clear that the people joining Jesus on this journey who are following him are not just the disciples. There's other people involved here as they journey through to Jerusalem. Which brings us to the third question, which is a little bit more complex. And this is where the Frankensteining of my sermon is going to actually take place a little bit. Um, if we ask the question, why is Jesus going to Jerusalem? The short answer is to die on a cross. It's not to go there and to do anything else. The end goal of the mission is the reconciliation of man to God. And it happens on a cross. And it's a brutal thing that's going to happen. And earlier, we turn to Luke chapter 9. We read this. Jesus speaking about his, why he's going there. The Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he will be put to death. But three days later, he will be raised to life. And then another passage um, just following that, what Jesus is talking about, um, why he's going to Jerusalem, what's going to happen there is Luke 18. We read this. Listen, we are going to Jerusalem where everything the prophets wrote about the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Gentiles who will make fun of him, insult him, spit on him, and they will whip him and kill him. But three days later, he will rise to life. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation that includes betrayal, rejection, suffering, being shamefully treated, spit on, whipped, and even put to death. It's a journey that ends at the cross. 
And when I read the passage, and I initially read it when Rob was like, hey, there's the passage, I was like, I don't know if I'm seeing that in the passage because I wasn't studying deep enough. I wasn't probing deep enough into the word. I wasn't looking at the whole context of the book of Luke. And it's very clear to me that if you follow Jesus to Jerusalem with this band of followers, including his disciples and other people, it could literally include rejection, um, no place to stay in Samaria, Rejection from the people of Samaria, um, deep betrayal from your own people, including one of your followers, intense suffering, shameful and unfair treatment from others, and it could literally cost you your life. And now maybe you see why I feel like the ultimate expression of following Jesus or example of that is that first video we watched. Because it's not a boardwalk cruise session. It is a hard reality that what Jesus expects from us when we follow him um, is something other than we often think. And I'm going to dive into this um, here in a second and talk a little bit about what it means. Um, When I was studying this text, uh, something came to my mind. It was a memory, a very painful memory in my life um, that I was reminded of. When I was 16 years old, I grew up in South Africa. I'm kind of an interesting person growing up around the world doing cool things. And um, when I grew up in South Africa, we, we had this uh, one place in our town called Cowie's Hill. It was like a cone-shaped hill, kind of like a volcano. And um, my cousins lived on the backside of, the, of Cowie's Hill. And you either went up one side and down the other or down one side and up the other. You know, it was like one of those hills. And what was really cool about it was it was like because of the shape of the hill, it kind of wrapped around, like to get down. You know what I'm talking about? You do this. And... In my fearlessness of my youth, I decided, I'm going to bomb Cowie's Hill. It's going to be awesome. No helmet. Um, and relatively proficient in skateboarding, but like no idea of what I was getting myself into. In over my head, like way. And uh, similar to this, but not quite the Alps, I went and started bombing the hill. And right when I got to the, almost the bottom, where I got maximum velocity because I'd just gone around, and it just like catapults you down. And that last stretch down, I was going, and I was like, yes, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. It was a rock in the street. And it was no, I was going so fast, there was no way around it. I was just like, I hope I go over the rock. It, like in a split second, and the front truck of my skateboard hit the rock. The skateboard stopped, like, because the rock wedged in there. And I went flying forward. I landed on my arm. I still have this scar on my arm um, with a lot of pain. I grazed my hip, my side. I protected my head. And I remember just getting up, like having a permanent limp, like Rob's uh, limp right now. Um, and it was almost like this, 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 limp, like this shameful limp of like, I did not realize how painful this could be. I mean, I could have really cost myself my life. I could have also made it through without any scratches, but uh, that didn't happen, and I'm glad it didn't. And I feel like when we understand why Jesus is going to Jerusalem, it changes the perspective a little bit on what the journey is going to be like. So let's take a look at the fourth question I was asking. Um, What will the journey look like? As I studied this, it was really interesting because the answer is in the text. 
Um, there are three followers, or I, uh, a lot of scholars call them would-be followers, like something like John Wesley's like, yeah, they're wannabe would-be followers um, because they don't quite get it right. They have some kind of excuse or something that gets in the way of fully pursuing Jesus. And I noticed that there were three things. That following Jesus, there is a cost. There is a real, tangible cost. And first of all, it could cost you your comforts. The things in your life, like your home, your car, your nice things, your money, your, your safety net, it could literally cost you your comforts. Keeping in mind that Jesus is homeless, he literally has nowhere to go, and he relies on other people for everything, including um, his livelihood, his full dependence on God. Number two, it could cost you your ties to family. I put ties to family because it's a little more um, literal, but in the text, the meaning is a little more, it has different implications. It's like it could literally cost you your social obligations. And then the third thing is following Jesus could or will, and I, maybe we should use the word will, cost you your attachments in life. And I'm going to break down each one. I'm going to keep the Frankensteining going. Is that good? Is it helpful to look at the context of the whole book of Luke? Are you guys into that? All right, because that's what we're doing. So let's take a look at the first, uh, first at the text, at the responses from Jesus, um, and why I kind of pulled out those things of what the cost will be. The first thing in verse 58, um, the, the scribe that we learned in Matthew 8, who comes to Jesus and says, um, the teacher of law, hey, I'll follow you anywhere you are going. And Jesus' response is like, eh. foxes have holes. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lie down and rest. Literally, I have nowhere to go. I own nothing. I don't even have shelter. The second person is an invitation from Jesus where he says, follow me. Come follow me. This particular person says, hey, first let me go bury my dad. His father had allegedly passed away. And Jesus' response is pretty harsh at first sight. It's like, no, no don't bury your dad. Like, let the bed, dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And we're going to unpack these a little bit. So um, don't get caught up on them too much. And then in the third instance, somebody again says, I will follow you. Um, and Jesus' response is, anyone who starts to plow and then keeps looking back is of no use to the kingdom of God. Keep in mind, verse 58, it will cost you your comforts. Verse 60, your social obligations and your ties to family. And then verse 62, your attachments, the things holding you back, the things that are keeping you from diving in full commitment, full force, right? So let's look at the first one. It will cost you your comforts. Um, when I read the response from Jesus, the first thing that comes to my mind is the call to follow Jesus. Um, and this is a really hard message, um, but I feel like the text warrants everything that I'm saying today. Um, the thing that I think about is the call to follow Jesus is a call away from the comforts of your life. It is a call to self-sacrifice. It's a call to dependence and reliance on God. It's a call to margin or marginality. And it's not a call to luxury or easy living, period. When um, I mentioned this before that Jesus was homeless he had no possessions. He relied on the support and generosity of others. We actually read in the Gospels that women supported him. Um, they took care of his needs. Um, he lived a humble and marginal life that was void of excess. 
And I'm going to show you that in the Bible, in the book of Luke. So pay attention because this is real stuff and it's super important. And I'm going to start in Luke chapter 9. And I'm going to look at verses 23 and 24. If you want to come with me, you must forget yourself, take up your cross every day, and follow me. For if you want to save your own life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. And then look at what he says in in chapter 14. I'm just going to scroll ahead here to chapter 14, um, verse 33. Give me a second to find it. He says, in the same way, none of you can be my disciple unless you give up everything you have. Just like no sugarcoating with Jesus. It's just straight up, like, to the gut all week for me. Um, Turn to Luke 9, verses 1 to 6. Jesus called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And after saying, saying to them, take nothing with you for the trip. It's definitely a call to margin, to full reliance and dependence on God. There is no comfort here. Take nothing with you, no walking stick, no beggar's bag, no food, no money, not even an extra shirt. Wherever you are welcome, stay in the same house until you leave that town. So depend on others for your, the place to stay. And wherever people don't welcome you, leave that town. Shake off the dust of your feet as a warning to them. And the disciples left and traveled through all the villages, preaching the good news and healing people everywhere. It's crazy to me that they actually did that. Um, One thing that blew my mind when I read this is no beggar's bag. What does that tell you? These guys had beggar's bags. They didn't have like bank accounts loaded with cash. They had nothing. It's crazy. It is insanely radical. And then turn to Luke 10. I'm going to keep going because Jesus is just on a roll here in this gospel. Luke came my favorite book after reading um, this, this last couple of weeks. But after this, the Lord chose another 72. So this happens immediately after the text we're studying this morning. Um, 72 men and sent them out two by two to go ahead of him to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, there is a large harvest, but few workers to gather it in. Pray to the owner of the harvest that he will send out workers to gather in the harvest. Go, I am sending you, and this is blowing my mind, like lambs among wolves. Not a very comfortable thing, not a very safe thing. You're going to be a lamb amongst a pack of wolves. Don't take a purse, again, a beggar's bag or shoes. Don't even take shoes. Don't stop to greet anyone. There's urgency on the road. And whenever you go into a house, First say, peace be with this house. Um, I'm going a little further than I expected here. Is anyone feeling it? Is this a call to comfort? Are the followers of Jesus who are pursuing him going in any kind of comfort? It is so clear to me when I read this. And it is so pertinent and like, ugh heart-wrenching to me. 
I told Rob when I came in, I'm like, something has to change in my life. Just has to change. Um, that's what happens when you take on a sermon from this church. It's like... The second thing we learn um, is that following Jesus will cost you your ties to your family or social obligations. And this is actually deeply personal for me because uh, the call to follow Jesus did actually cost me that. I came here to minister and I left my whole life, uh, my whole family in Switzerland behind me. And even till today, I still struggle and suffer with that. I'm like, Jesus, why did you call me here? I'm, like, I'm watching my parents age from another continent, and it's tough. And Jesus' response is, M, <laughs> don't worry about that. The dead bury their own dead. And I'm like, what? That's harsh, man. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I'm going to go on with my Frankensteining here to Luke 14 because, man, Luke's just blowing my mind away um, with everything that's going on. And I'm going to look at verses um, 25 onwards. This just hurts me, man. That those who come to me cannot be my disciples. You can't even be a follower. This is a criteria 101 for following Jesus. You can't even be a follower unless you love me more than you love your father and your mother, your wife and even your children. I have a wife and a six-year-old, almost a five-year-old. I can't even imagine and fathom this. Your brothers and your sisters, and you love me more than you love yourself. Man, those who do not carry their own cross, again, this thing about daily carrying a cross, daily sacrifice, living a life of sacrifice to self, cannot be my disciple or follower. But he says more. I'm like, can you just stop already? No, because we're going to Luke 8. Because all these things were just speaking to me all week. Interesting story about Jesus. Um, Jesus, his mother and his brothers come to him. While he's ministering, but they're unable to join him because of the crowd. There's so many people around him. And someone says to him, yo, your mother and your brothers are like standing outside. Uh, you might want to go see him. Like maybe you've been on the road for a while. Like it's your family. Um, and here's Jesus' response. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Completely different perspective than what I have been having, honestly. Um, Sadly, ashamedly. The third thing is that um, based on the response that Jesus gives those who look back uh, while they're plowing the field is that following Jesus' discipleship um, will cost you your attachments. And um, I think this is one that might be a little easier to relate to because we all have those things that will say, I'll be all in only when... Um, for me personally, it's like, I'll jump back into church planting and ministry, God, when like, I, like, my kids are in school and my, like, my wife's work situation sorted out and like, I can afford to take care of my family. This is literally the dialogue that's been going on in my heart for the last two years. And he's like, nah, maybe not, because that's 
Those are your attachments, your insecurities. It's not a life of dependence and self-sacrifice. It's a self-centered life, a life of anxiety. Um, and he's like, you got to be all in, 100% committed to the road to Jerusalem. And the things that keep us one foot in, one foot in, one foot out, or that we push back the commitment to a later date, he's like, that is not what following me is about. And the Gospel of Luke has an incredible story in chapter 18 um, that just drives home this point about attachments. And I'm going to read this to you in chapter 18. Bear with me for a second. The rich young man, or rich young ruler, a Jewish leader asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? It's a great question. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not steal. Do not accuse anyone falsely. And respect your father and your mother. And the man replied, ever since I was young, I have obeyed all these commandments. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds like uh, he's, he's following, right? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, there is still one more thing you need to do. There's an attachment. Sell all you have and give the money to the poor and you will have riches in heaven and then come and follow me. And when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. He has an attachment to money. Jesus saw that he was sad and said, How hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is much harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The people who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? I mean, this is so crazy and insane and radical. Like, who among us is even good enough to be saved, Jesus? It's ridiculous. And Jesus answered, What is humanly impossible is possible. For God, and then Jesus, and then Peter said, and this blows my mind. Look, we have left our homes. We've left everything. That's how I felt when I read this. I'm like, man, I left everything to be here. Look where I'm at. And Jesus said to them, and I assure you that anyone who leaves home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will receive much more in this present age and eternal life, and in the age to come. You know what is interesting to me is that when you think about the full spectrum theologically, it's like when you accept the call to follow Jesus, you become a child of God. You, you are adopted into his family, Scripture tells us. Um, your, your king, the kingdom or the, the thing that you're pursuing is in heaven. It's not of earth anymore. And the things you should focus on are heavenly things and not earthly things that rot, uh, moth and rust can destroy and, and Jesus teaches on and on in the Gospels to build up and store up treasures in heaven. Not attachments and ties to family and comforts. Are those things, things of heaven? It's not. Um, and I'm like preaching to myself. I'm, I, I'm not frustrated with anyone here today other than myself. Like, when you hear the intensity in my voice, I'm like, I'm preaching to me, and I'm hoping that... Um, you learn something, and that God speaks to you through that. Um, it's brutal. And so, like, this week, I was asking myself these three questions over and over again. I put them on the screen here for you, and I want you to take a moment to ask yourself 
these questions in terms of following Jesus. It's like, are you willing to give up your comforts? To take on a life of margin? (sighs) Are you willing to deny yourself and your family and your social obligations? And are you willing to leave your attachments behind you as you plow the field? The the harvest is plentiful. Well, then go and plow. Don't get focused on the things behind you that are holding you back. Look forward. Take a moment. Think about this. Wrestle with it. Let the Word of God transform your life, your heart, bring you to a better place, a happier place. As I read the book of Luke, the whole book of Luke, and more specifically chapter 9 and the verses we looked at, I really feel challenged to follow Jesus differently. I have to. I mean, I'm like, I get it, Jesus. Like, I actually understand it. Um, and I literally need to pick up my skateboard um, at the top of the Alps, I put on my helmet, and I need to bomb the mountain fearlessly. It's what I want to do. I just still, you can tell I'm still a little hesitant. <laughs> um, I need to give the journey my full undivided attention. Um, I need to live self-sacrificially, less comforts, less obligations, less ties to myself, putting myself and my family first, and less attachments to the things of this world that are actually insignificant in Jesus' mind and his teaching. Um, I need to be insanely more radical in my approach to following Jesus to Jerusalem, to the cross, through poverty, through hardship, through betrayal, into persecution, away from myself and and my needs and towards others and their needs. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to that. That is a massive cost. Think about it. It's a massive cost. And I want to leave you guys with um, just a little bit of wisdom. Before I even leave you with the wisdom, go back. Um, make the choice in your heart. You want to follow like this? You can follow like that. Um, or you're going to end up like the rich young ruler if you follow him like that. You're going to turn away sad. But here's the wisdom from Luke. More Frankenstein happening here. Um, chapter 10. I encourage you to read Luke this week. Grapple with this yourself. Luke 10, 25 to 28. A teacher of the law, might have been the same person, came up and tried to trap Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to receive eternal life? Again, this is the same question as before. It's what I love about Luke. It's like all these cool things are happening again and again, and people just don't get it. And Jesus answered him, what do the scriptures say? How do you interpret them? You're a teacher of the law. You're a scribe. And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You're right, 
Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan sacrificial living and helping and care for other people that goes beyond self. It's not inward focused by any means. So love God with everything. This is my wisdom for you guys. It's the wisdom from Luke. It's the wisdom from Jesus. And love your neighbor as yourself. The second thing, piece of wisdom is from uh, Luke chapter 12. And this is actually something that spoke very clearly to me because I'm a warrior. I tend to worry about things. And if you focus in in chapter 12, you'll discover this. Instead of being concerned with his kingdom, um, what does it say? Are we on 12? Oh, my bad. I'm in the wrong thing. But seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry. You know, be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to those in need, and this will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I don't know what to say after that, honestly. It's just like, um, but I'm going to pray. When you don't have words, you raise one up. Oh, Jesus, just, it's so clear what, what you want and need and require, and it is so hard to do. And we just pray that you give us the courage to follow through and to not turn away, um, not only to understand the cost, but to value the cost and understand that it's worth it. So please give us the ability through your Holy Spirit to do that um, so that we can change the world and spread the gospel and continue harvesting for your sake and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.